Let us return to Matthew in chapter 14, where we'll see this event. Uh, We're just looking at a few hours of the Lord Jesus' life. Uh, From this point in uh, verse 22, I think it is, where he sends the, the crowds away to when he meets Peter on the sea a few hours later. And we'll see a few things, and they're all centering around this, the real Lord Jesus. And that's our first point, the real Lord Jesus in verse 22 there. Did you detect, as we were doing the reading, a sudden and a dramatic change of tone in verse 22? Everything seems to be ticking along quite quite nicely. But then in verse 22, we have a well-fed, a well-taught, amicable crowd suddenly sent away, driven away. And Jesus' faithful disciples have been dismissed. And a few of the Gospels talk in a similar way, that Jesus made them get into the boat and cross the sea to the other side. What's going on there? What's that all about? Why is Jesus behaving like this? Well, if you were to look at John's account of the same event in John chapter 6, you'd find in verse 15 that the crowd that was there, having just been well-fed and well-taught, sought to take Jesus and make him their king. And so Jesus withdraws for that reason. But why? why? Why would he withdraw? If you're a Christian this evening, don't you call Jesus your king? Isn't Jesus supposed to be the king of the Jews? Why does he withdraw when they try to make him their king? Well, you see, the crowd just didn't want to make him king. The crowd wanted to take Jesus and make him their king. A king after their own design. A king after their own liking, something comfortable, something convenient for them. You can read more about their real motives in John chapter 6 as well. What did they want? Did they want Jesus? No. They wanted his food. They wanted his miracles. They wanted his nice teachings on love and forgiveness. But they didn't want him. Now, in all of his complexity and brilliance, the Lord Jesus Christ is a real person, Jesus of Nazareth. But these people, they didn't care who he really was, the Son of God come down from heaven, or that he, who, what he came to do, to die for sinners who will put their faith and trust in him. They just wanted his stuff. Interestingly, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, They wanted to make an idol out of Jesus, a caricature of the real person. It's a bit like how we might tell fabulous stories about King Arthur. We love the man, we love to tell stories about him and Lancelot and the round table, but we have no idea who he really is or was or whether he even existed. When we do that to the Lord Jesus, and we make out of him a caricature of the real person that he is, he withdraws himself and sends us away. Now, we are in a testing time as a church in the world and in the UK, and our real motives for following the Lord Jesus are going to be exposed. 
And now this is something to think about in this area. Are you content with the many ways in which church has changed in the past week? Are you willing to even give up more so long as you can keep the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to be rid of all of those things that you've become used to and comfortable with and things that you like? But so long as I can have the Lord Jesus, I don't really mind about those things. Or is it the case that from now on you're going to be frustrated and disappointed until things can be back just the way you like them? That's a very difficult question. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I'm content with this. Personally, I am dying to hear you all sing again here and to pray with you all again in the hall and to take the Lord's Supper with you again. But until then... You and I still have the real Lord Jesus Christ, if we are Christians, if we are believers. And he is enough. Come what may. This building could fall down and with the, still with the Lord Jesus, that is enough. It is better to be stuck at home singing hymns on my own with the Lord Jesus than in church, in my pew, reciting the Lord's Prayer with my friends, but have a make-believe saviour after my own liking. For all of us, for each of us, this is surely a God-given time. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in so many ways, but here is one to examine our love for the church, to examine our love for the church, Is it purely for the things that we like? Or is it for him, the Lord Jesus, the real one that we're pursuing? And this takes us now to our second point about the real Lord Jesus, that he is in control. You see, Jesus withdraws from those who don't want him, but just want things from him. And that seems to be to us a catastrophe, a terrible mistake, because it, it, it ends Jesus' ministry in Galilee. You know, the Lord Jesus never returns to Galilee with the same sort of following. In one verse, he sends away 5,000 men and all the women and children with them. And the next day we read how he would disillusion even more people. They would go away to a point where he's only left with his disciples. And he says, are you going as well? Everyone is driven away. If you were there, if you were following the Lord Jesus, what would you think when you see him sending away all of the people that were following him? How can this happen? How can the cause of the gospel possibly recover? What is the world going to do without all of these followers? These verses show us that Jesus' success, who follows him, when they follow him, and for how far, is up to him. He is sovereign over his church. At his words, people come and people go. By his providences, those seeking their own sort of convenient and comfortable caricature 
are repelled, but those who want the real thing are drawn in. Until recently, I trust we were all concerned by dwindling church attendance and how few people in the UK were seeking the Lord. A few days later, we're concerned because this church, which used to hold hundreds of people, now holds seven. These are understandable concerns, but Jesus is not in the slightest bit concerned. Jesus will build his church without you and without me. With or without a pandemic, he is not fretting about the lack of meetings and events. This is liberating my soul, I don't mind telling you. Are you worried about the cause of the gospel now that churches are closed all over the country, all over the world? And believers are unbelievers. They're not being exposed to Christians. Fear not for the church. Fear not. Because Jesus teaches us in Matthew 14 and he's teaching us this very instant. Right now, sitting in your living room, he's teaching us now that he doesn't need us. He doesn't need Heath Church to achieve his ends. If it pleased him, hypothetically, Jesus could close all the churches in the country. He could close all the churches in the world and, hypothetically, he could put all the Christians in quarantine and lock them all away into their houses and the gospel would still go forth to the ends of the earth. I will build my church. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Some of you will know Psalm 127 by heart. It's not too long. Unless the Lord builds this house, they labour in vain who build it. It's God's house. Jesus is in control. I wonder if you ever thought about it like this over the past few days. Across this whole planet, people are now hidden away in their homes. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can go wherever he likes and do whatever he wishes. He is under no authority. There is no one else who can tell him where he ought to go, where he ought to be, that he shouldn't go out, that he shouldn't bother with people. You know, in the coming weeks, he is going to go home to home, home to home, building his church edifying his saints, seeking the lost, saving sinners, forgiving sin. He will do it because he is sovereign. He is in control and he doesn't need us. As it happens, the word of the Lord Jesus tells us that he is pleased to use us ordinarily in these very things, in the preaching of the gospel, in evangelism, in telling our friends about the Lord Jesus and his gospel. But I think you can agree with me, these are not ordinary times. You and I need to consider, and our churches need to consider our role in humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and recognising by his providence that for all of our efforts, and they are good efforts, it is his work, it is his church, it is his gospel, and it's up to him to save. 
talking of saving, look at those verses 23 to 25, where we find the real Jesus enters into our distresses. What happened before this storm? The disciples now, they're in this boat, they're struggling against the storm. Another gospel says that they are in torment or they are in pains struggling against the wind. Where were they before they were tied up in this horrible mess? They were witnessing the feeding of the 5,000, even playing a role in it. What a blessing that was. And now look at them. Where were they before the feeding of the 5,000, you know? They had just enjoyed, by the hands of Jesus, a successful ministry, a really successful ministry of preaching the gospel. When Jesus was there, they were having a great time. They were knowing success. Everything was blessed. Everything seemed to be going so well. But now, look at them. They're in torment. Where is Jesus? You know, sudden distresses can come upon the church without any apparent reason. Blessing can become torment so quickly, can't it? The 1904 revivals gave way to the 1912 Spanish flu that killed millions, apparently. 2019 and the blessings of it gave way to 2020. And this virus, there's a plague on our land. We want the real Jesus. Where is he? Why are we in torment now? It gets personal as well, doesn't it? Many of us now, many of us can say, last week I enjoyed spending the Lord's Day with my grandparents or with my children and now I can't even touch them. I can't see them. And for some of us, we have already seen some of our loved ones for the last time. Some of us have to go and work in UHW and all the stresses that are in there. Some of us, even worse, have lost our jobs because of the economic uncertainty. Where is the Lord Jesus? I want the real Jesus. Why isn't he here now? The same wonderful answer for the disciples and for the church and for you is this, that he is on his mountain and he is watching and he is praying the disciples were struggling, but they weren't alone. Jesus watched and prayed over them. The church in this world, she is in great distress, but Jesus is watching over her and praying for her. And you, Jesus sees you in all of your distresses. He knows the burden and the weight of it on your heart. And he bears it with you. He has compassion upon you. And as Matthew said earlier in his gospel, he bears your sorrows and carries your sicknesses, even in himself. To meditate on and to know that truth puts real steel in us. Some of us who know our Bibles remember in Acts where Stephen, the first martyr, he died full of strength and courage because he knew Jesus was watching and praying for him. How anxious are you about this virus? 
I confess to you all that this week my heart has trembled. I have entertained fear and faithlessness about it. But meditating on this has filled me with courage. We can go on, you can go on, knowing that the real Lord Jesus, the risen one who is in heaven now, is absolutely sovereign. He is in total control. He sees it all. And he sees you and he sees me and he knows everything about it and he is praying. But this next bit, it's just like our God. Because somehow, to him, it just wasn't good enough that God in the flesh would watch over us and pray for us. It just wasn't good enough. For him, he had to send him personally to us. Imagine being in that boat. The, the elements are against you and you're fearing for the future. You fear for your family and how they will cope. You are frightened for your parents, frightened for your children. And some of these disciples are related. They're frightened for their families' lives, even with them at the time. Can you identify with that? If Jesus was here, if only Jesus was here. You know, it was only a year ago before this event that Jesus was on that sea in a storm with the same disciples and with a word, he stilled the sea. If only he was there. He's not just watching. He's not just praying. But like we said, he comes through the storm and he comes striding towards them. He went to them in the storm. He didn't wait on the other side in Bethsaida. He didn't wait for the storm to pass. He didn't still the storm and then go to them in the calm. He went directly into the eye of the storm with them. He went to them in the fourth watch of the night. Do you know how many watches there are in a night? Four. In the last, in the hardest, in the darkest when they're feeling at their worst, when they're at their weakest, he goes to them in the storm and says, it is I, don't be afraid. You know, just as Jesus sent the twelve into this storm, Jesus has brought all of this upon you. He's brought this calamity onto your family, onto your church, he has done this to your country. He's done this to the whole world. He did it by his providence, by his power. And he is with us, feeling the brunt of it, in the thick of it, with us. You know, Boris says that we can't gather anymore. And we can scarcely share our homes anymore. And that's wise. That's the right thing to do. But you can't keep Jesus out of my house or out of yours. Jesus doesn't do social distancing. Some of you know Lilia. She told me about the months that she spent in isolation in Eastern Europe. Not in her own home, but in a cell, in a hospital of sorts. 
And she was speaking to me about those times that she spent in isolation, completely alone, separated from the whole world. And she said, see how Jesus found me like this, in this place. Some of you know another man who I can't name and he told me about the years that he spent in isolation. Not at home, but in a prison cell. And he said, see how Jesus found me there in isolation. He washed me of all my sin and made me new. When the world was separated from him, when everything was taken away, when he was in the storm of his life, Jesus came to him and saved him. Your Lord Jesus is pleased to come to you and to your family in the hardest of days that are ahead of you, while you are isolated, while the storms of your anxieties and your fears are all around you and the world is falling apart and your exams have just disappeared. You've had to be satisfied with your predicted grades. Your parents, they've got this awful disease. Your children, they, are, they have to work in horrible circumstances. Your family have lost their jobs. But Jesus is with you in that. He bears your anxieties. He carries your sorrows. He is with you. And he comforts you, the real one. Let us finish by looking at a few verses, 29 to 31, and the interaction that Peter has with this real Lord Jesus. Isn't this a wonderful, wonderful picture of how the real Jesus deals with people? Well, I don't know, all of you who are watching, but I dare say there are some of you watching wondering, I wonder what these Christians have to say. What do they have to say about all this now, this fear about providence, about a loving God. What do they have to say about all of this now? Well, here is your answer. When we are sinking, when we are up to our necks in trouble, when we look at the storms around us and we begin to sink in fear and anxiety, when even death is up to our necks, when the judgment of God falls upon us, on our church, on our country, on our nation. When we sinners call out to the Lord Jesus Christ for help, where do we find him? He's only in the gutter with us. He's in the eye of the storm. He's in the same sinking boat. We we sinners who have earned with the rest of this sorry planet a fate worse than death, a fate worse than coronavirus, we who have offended God, we call on Jesus Christ and he lifts us from our distresses. That's what we have to say. In the midst of this, the Lord Jesus is with us and he will help us. How can you be so sure? How can you be so sure that God is your help in troubling times? You know, the whole planet, literally the whole planet now, is on its knees. Nobody is spared. There are whole nations that are just trembling, wondering what do we do? How best can we limit the damage? That's what we're on now, damage limitation. Why do Christians, of all people, think that they are the ones being visited and helped by God? Because 
when we were up to our stiff necks in trouble much worse than this, when we were bearing the burden of our sin and guilt, when we weren't facing when we weren't facing death alone, but hell and a fate worse than death, it was then when we were in much worse straits that we sinners cried out to the Lord Jesus, Lord, save me. And I love how Matthew puts it, immediately he stretched out his forth, he caught hold of Peter and he lifted him out of the sea. Immediately he saved us. The Lord Jesus Christ died for sinners. How much more will he save saints? Whoever you are, your biggest problem in life is not invisible diseases. Your biggest problem is God. And until you are reconciled to him by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will remain your biggest problem. But when you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, he will save you. And then what problem, please tell me, could you possibly have when God has solved that one for you? And it's because of all of that that Christians have a peculiar, a particular, a special privilege, all of us. We see the calamity that has befallen our country and our globe and we say, God dealt with my sin. He can deal with this. He saved my soul. I need not fear death. He saved from my family. I don't have to fear for them. This strange providence that has come upon us all, it doesn't stop the church and it doesn't stop Jesus' love to you or to me. Now, we'll actually close with this. You know, the very next day, you can read about that in John 6 and from verse 22 onwards, if you wish. The very next day, Jesus re-encounters the same crowd that he sent away that we've just read about. He sends the crowd away, crosses the sea with the disciples, and the next day he meets the same crowd. How did they get there? Some may have walked around the sea, I don't know, but many, no doubt, many of them crossed the sea and went through the same storm. But because they were looking for a made-up caricature of the Lord Jesus, because they were looking for their own sort of king that they could put into their pocket, not the real thing, they had no relief in their storm. They had no hope. They struggled through it all on their own to come out the other side. Because Jesus went to save those who were after the real thing. If you have the wonderful, completely incomparable privilege of having the Lord Jesus Christ as the king of your life, then you can expect his watchful care, his prayers, his presence with you in your distresses. 
You can expect him to be there, to bear it with you and to save you. But if you don't have him, then you really are alone in the next few months. You will have to fight this virus. You will have to fight death and grief and sorrow and angst and the anxiety of it all and the pain. All without him and without hope. But if you just call on him, Lord, save me. He will. Immediately he will stretch out his hand, he'll grab hold of you, pull you out of the water and say, oh, you of little faith, why didn't you call on me earlier? Why did you doubt? That is our real Lord Jesus, a real person, a real king, who really is control of all of this, of the whole world centuries and centuries he's just in control of it all we need not fear for the future of the church or our lives or our family this is the real Jesus who comes to us in our distresses and bears them with us it's the real Jesus who will save yet he'll save you he'll save your family if you will call on him he'll save from all sorts of people and when we do come back to this place there will be people who have never ever experienced church like it before they will have been saved in the most dire of situations with this thing this grasped hold of our country and then they'll come to church for the first time with all of us what a day that will be and we'll sing his praises amen